Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. I want to speak a little bit about how the Seder is the most inaccurately named ritual in our tradition. Because the word Seder means order. And if you really look at the Haggadah, it is entirely out of order. It's all mixed up. But before we get there, I want to tell you a quick story. I was talking to someone this week who told me a story. The story was this person was at a sporting event. And in the middle of the sporting event, there was an announcement that came through everybody's you know, phones and Instagrams that some major thing had been announced major event that impacted people's feelings about the world and about one another. I'm not going to tell you what the event was. I'm not going to tell you it was domestic. I'm not going to tell you it was international. I'm not going to tell you the identities or the persuasions of any of the people involved in the story. But the person telling me the story said, they looked at their phone and wanted to cheer and looked around all the people near this person who were cheering at this news and then caught eyes with someone who is definitely not cheering. And they had an awkward moment where this person just assumed that every person around her would have the exact same reaction to significant news as she did. And she was incredulous that the other person was not mirroring her experience. And when this person told me the story, she was incredulous at my lack of incredulity. It seemed to me that when you live in a complicated world amongst many different people, there's no chance that even the simplest headline is going to land the exact same way on every person. This person walked into a sporting event under the assumption that everyone there, every person, would be a part of her own community of feeling the same way about important big things. It just doesn't happen that way in the real world. Going back to the Seder, as I said before, it really is out of order. There's stuff at the end that no one knows why it's there. You can do lots of wonderful midrashim as to why Chad Gajah has anything to do with Pesach Seder. All of it is ex post facto. <laughs> Who knows one is a cute ditty. I love leading it as a kid. I love leading it now. It's connection to the Exodus story. I'm not quite sure. There are elements of the Haggadah that are 2,000 years old and elements of the Haggadah that are 300 years old. And it seems like someone was very, very inebriated when they put this all together and called it in order. Perhaps the part of the Seder that is most oddly out of order and actually puts other things out of the order is a section of the four children, the Arbabanim. Arbabanim dibra Torah. The Haggadah exclaims confidently that the Torah spo- spoke about four different types of children. Right? And you know the categories. The Chacham, the wise one, the Rasha, the evil, the wicked one, the Tam, the simple one, and Sha'eno Yudeli Shol, the one who does not know how to ask. You could get ten doctorates in biblical text and not find those four children enumerated in our Torah. The Haggadah is not quite lying, but it's stretching. And it's basically manufacturing four archetypes 
of what a child could be, and picking and choosing verses entirely out of order, actually sometimes uh, undoing and inverting the context in which those verses were chosen as a way of proving that the Torah has these four categories. And the one that's most out of order conceptually is the Rasha, the wicked one, the child who's supposed to be um, lambasted at the Seder and brought back into sense and brought back into the family. Why is it out of order? Because the verse that the Haggadah says clearly describes the Rasha is taken from the 12th chapter of the book of Shemot, the actual chapter from which Exodus is described, verse 26. And the Haggadah says, can you believe it? This Rasha asked the following horrific question to his parents or her parents. What is this act, this ritual to you? What a terrible question, is what the Haggadah says. In context, where that verse actually appears in the Torah, it's actually understood to be a sweet and wonderful and legitimate and curious question. The Torah imagines that eventually the Israelites will get to the land of Israel, start doing the Pesach Seder, it won't be, actually wouldn't, wouldn't be a seed at the time, start doing the Paschal offering, the Pesach offering, and the child will look at the parents doing a strange korban, a strange offering, and saying, what is this weird thing I'm looking at? And that's a good question, because it opens up the possibility for you to respond to the child, this is the story of our people's freedom. It gets twisted around by the Haggadah saying, what a, ter- what a terrible question that kid would ask. Why is it a good question in context? The HaMektavar, the rabbi known as the Netziv, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, who was a late 19th, early 20th century sage from Lithuania, says, it's a good question because most, if not all, of the sacrifices in our tradition accomplish something. You bring a sacrifice to cleanse yourself from sin. You bring a sacrifice to prepare for a particular holiday. You bring a sacrifice to say thank you to God. What is this sacrifice that seems to be related to no personal moment in your life, why are we offering it? It's not accomplishing anything. And secondly, if you're telling me that the sacrifice is to commemorate the miracle of the firstborn, or the miracle of the, of the tragedy of the Egyptian firstborns being killed, and therefore the Israelites going out as a result of that, the child might say, name me another miracle in the Torah, our response to which is offering a sacrifice. In other words, what is this ritual to you? Is the child saying, I don't understand. This seems out of order. Explain it to me. We want our children to ask that question. We want to do things differently on Pesach so the youngest amongst us will say, please explain to me what this means because I do not understand it. It is totally reworked and inverted by the Haggadah in order to create this archetype, this category of the Russia, the evil child. It's done so intentionally that you have to believe that the rabbis were very, very keen in creating a category of a Russia so that we could beware of them, so we could identify them in our family, in our community, and we could try to build a society without so many Rishaim. What makes the Rasha so evil? There are two basic streams of thought in our tradition, one minor and one dominant. The minor one is offered by many people, including a sage called the Shibolei Haleket, Rabbi Tzidkiyahu ben Avram in the 13th century who lived in Italy and in Germany. 
And he says, why is this rasha evil? What do you have to be on the lookout for in your family, in your community? Kafar ikar. He negates everything. Why? Shalohi skir Hashem binyan. He didn't even mention God, this created, invented rasha, is asking a question about a, rit- question about a ritual, not even connecting to God. In other words, his wickedness, his evil is theological. He takes God out of the story. And what would the Jewish people be? And what would Judaism be without God in the story? That's a rasha. Beware. That's the minor opinion in intellectual Jewish history. The dominant opinion offered by a sage called the Ravan Rabbi Eliezer ben Rabbi Natan of Mainz, Germany in the 12th century, and many others. What did he do wrong? What is so disastrous? What do we have to be on the lookout for? Shehotzi atzmo min that he removed himself from the category of other people around that table who might do things and see things a little differently than him. That is sinful. It's an invented sin by the rabbis, but that makes it more powerful, as if it was so important for the rabbis to be aware of this certain communal wickedness, not having the wrong opinion. It's not that he thought something differently about God but not being willing to count himself amongst those who have different opinions than you. That makes you a rasha. If you look around and you assume everyone is going to agree with you, and if they don't, you want to depart from that group, according to the Haggadah, that makes you a rasha. Speaking of things that are wonderfully out of order, the thing that comes just before this section in the Haggadah is the story of the rabbis in Bnei Brak. You may read that section in your Haggadah. And what's significant about that section? The rabbis were hanging out in Bnei Brak near modern-day Tel Aviv and studying all night. Can you imagine even two rabbis, let alone four or five rabbis, studying for more than 10 minutes, not having a meaningful disagreement with each other? And can you imagine how short that study session would be if the disagreement to stop, stop the conversation? If the disagreement meant that one rabbi was going to leave, the woman said, I can no longer be counted among you. In fact, what happens just before the four children is the rabbis exemplifying the opposite of our understanding of the Shema, of the Rasha. Sit with people who have strong opinions, study the tradition all night, and then when the sun comes up, say Shema together. Not in your own individual minyan, not surrounded just by people who hold your opinions on things. Say the Shema together. That's the Jewish way. To sit around and debate and then pray together. Even when you disagree. The Jewish way is to be like Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai who disagreed vociferously one another. And then made sure that their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren married one another because we needed both streams of ideas in our genetic and intellectual inheritance. I read a very painful article around Thanksgiving, some of you may, may have come across it, that some statistical analysis was done. That the length of time that people were generally willing to sit or ended up sitting around the Thanksgiving table had to do with how far away they were driving from their own home and how different a, a voting pattern was in the city in which they ended up having a Thanksgiving meal. In other words, if where they were having Thanksgiving was a certain percentage difference in voting patterns in the last few elections, it was going to reduce the amount of time spent by the people at that Thanksgiving dinner by a similar percentage. 
but people who were having Thanksgiving dinners near themselves and in the same zip codes where voting patterns are similar, the dinners went on for a long time. It's a terrible indictment of this moment in American society, and I would say in Jewish society, where we have a hard time lingering or even believing there are other people at a sporting event such as ours who believe differently about important things. My favorite aspect of the energy of the Pesach Seder is that there's no winning, there's no losing, there's very little right, there's very little wrong. There's a lot of extended conversation together and claiming an identity of the Jewish people as a singular one. We have, as Jews, in our cultural DNA, the ability to be respectful in machloket, in disagreement. And I think we have an opportunity to show the world and remind ourselves that we can do this that we can tolerate and even honor meaningful differences of theological positions and thus certainly political ones. We're at Shabbat HaGadol. What makes this such a great and grand Shabbat? Technically, it's because of a word in the Haftarah that Noah read a few minutes ago. But conceptually, what makes this so grand? Because it's a few days before we're going to exemplify the greatest Jewish gift to the intellectual and spiritual world. And that is that differences can be honored and that polarization can be replaced with order, with seder. I'll drink four cups of wine to that and maybe even more. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.